Scaling Up Nation, how many times have you gone in for a dip slide to finish up what you needed to do at a customer's location and the agar has fallen off of the slide? Or maybe there's premature growth and you haven't even taken the slide out of the box. I know you are as tired of this as I am, and that's where Fluid Maintenance Solutions has come in and created the perfect solution, the TTC MLAT plate count. The plate count does everything that a dip slide will without the issues that I just mentioned. These are plate count dishes and they stack beautifully so if you have limited space in your incubator just like we do at my company they stack perfectly giving you probably a times 10 real estate addition to your current incubator in just 42 hours you will have the results you need to complete your service report and bring your customer to the next level of your service to find out more, go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash plate count. Welcome to the Scaling Up H2O podcast, the podcast where we scale up on knowledge so we don't scale up our systems. My name is Trace Blackmore. I get to host this podcast that you are listening to, and thank you very much for doing that. And we are celebrating Legionella Awareness Month. No, we are not celebrating Legionella bacteria. No, we are not celebrating Legionnaire's disease. What we are celebrating is information. We are celebrating Legionella Awareness Month, and that is all about making sure that we are armed with information. There are so many people out there that don't understand Legionella. They don't understand what they need to do about Legionella. That's what we're trying to do this month. That's what we try to do every August. This started a couple years ago when we were in a pandemic and we had no conventions to go to and everything was canceled. Of course, the big Legionella convention happens in August. And because they canceled that, we said, we're going to make August Legionella Awareness Month. And that's what we've done for the past few years. And I really think that the Scaling Up Nation has done a great job in getting better information out to our customers, making sure that they have good information so they can make good decisions. And that is what this entire show is going to be about. We're going to talk about all things Legionella. We're going to talk about questions that you have in the Scaling Up Nation. And I have asked everybody in the Scaling Up Nation, what Legionella questions do you have? And we are going to answer those questions for you on today's show. So I hope you're ready. I love doing shows like these because I know I'm answering what you want to hear. I do a pretty good job of guessing what the Scaling Up Nation wants, but that's all it is, is a guess until you tell me exactly what it is you want me to talk about. And so many of you have done that with your questions, and that's what I'm going to be answering today. So the first question is how and when 
was Legionella first discovered? Well, back in 1976, there was a convention of American Legion folks. And these Legionnaires, that's where we got the name, were at the Belford Stratford Hotel in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And in 1976, there was an outbreak where several of these legionnaires were getting sick and they were dying. And we had no idea what was going on. If you were to look at some of the periodicals back at that time, or even newspaper headlines, there was this mysterious fever that was killing our veterans. Was it the Cold War that wasn't so cold anymore? And now maybe the Russians were being accused of killing our veterans. So there was all this speculation about what was going on. And then when they did an investigation, they found a particular bacteria that all these Legionella victims, these legionnaires, had in common, and it was this bacteria. And that bacteria was named after the people that unfortunately suffered from the disease, not when it was invented, because it's been around for a long time. It was probably when it was first noted and then given a name so we knew to look for it. So that was back in 1976. Another question is people often interchange Legionella bacteria and Legionella disease Is there a difference? What's the difference? How do we know what the difference is? So this is the question that was asked, and I hear that all the time. And if you were speaking with a Legionellologist, somebody that all they do is speak on Legionella, they would probably grimace if you did not use these terms correctly. Now, when you don't use these terms correctly with your customer, It's confusing because when they don't get the right terms, they're not able to share the best information with whomever they need to share that with. So I think it's important that we do understand the terminology. So Legionella is the actual name that we gave the bacteria. And of course, we just heard the story of how it got its name. So when you refer to Legionella, that is the bacteria itself. And there's all different serogroups of this. There's different species of this. And of all of them, most people agree that uh, serogroup one, Legionella pneumophila, is the most hazardous when it comes to a health concern. So all that's about bacteria. Now let's talk about Legionnaire's disease. This is actually pneumonia. This is a different name for the specific pneumonia that you get when you get sick from Legionella bacteria. So if you say I've got Legionella disease in my cooling tower, well, no, you don't. You might have some Legionella bacteria in your cooling tower. Now, will it make somebody sick? Well, your guess is as good as mine, but that's why we need to make sure we understand it. We need to make sure we're testing for it. We need to make sure that we are controlling it so we can minimize people's chances of getting Legionnaire's disease. Another question asks, what does Legionella look like under a microscope? 
So I'm horrible at describing pictures. So if you go to our show notes page at scalinguph2o.com, we will have a picture of Legionella, but it is a long cylindrical looking bacteria. And it's, it's really cool how it reacts to things. We'll have a couple of slides up on our show notes page if you are interested in Legionella bacteria, uh, but it is kind of unique looking. And I'm sure if you have seen any sort of publication about Legionella, you've seen this long rod-like looking bacteria that of course is Legionella. So if you wanna see the actual picture, go to our show notes page and we'll have that for you. Another question asked, Trace, what fascinates you about Legionella? Well, I guess the thing that really fascinates me now is how many people don't know about it. And by now, it's really a choice not to know about it. It's a fascinating bacteria to just study how it reproduces, uh, how it's susceptible to a lot of different biocides or antibiotics. That, that is just fascinating to me. But really what's fascinating is what we're doing with that and, and the fact that Today, there are still people that refuse to learn about Legionella because they think that learning about Legionella will make them liable if something ever happens with Legionella bacteria in their facility. And I am amazed at that because I think that is just ridiculous. Ignorance is not an excuse. And I'm sure you've probably heard, and there's probably a Latin term for ignorance is no excuse for not knowing the law. You have to understand that there is Legionella bacteria out there. And if you own a building, it is your responsibility to make sure that you understand the water that's in your building. And there's a potential for Legionella bacteria to grow within a building's water system. And by knowing that, there are certain things that you have to do. Now, some things are mandated, some things aren't, depending on where you live. You might be under some of those mandates. Most of the people within the United States area are not under those mandates. For those of you listening to me outside of the United States, you probably do have mandates that force you to test for Legionella. And if you find Legionella, depending on how much Legionella bacteria you find, you've got to do something about it. So take it from me. If you have kept the blinders on for this long, take them off. Use this episode as your excuse to start learning more about Legionella. Heck, we got an entire month where you can learn more about Legionella. We're celebrating Legionella Awareness Month. And then what are you going to do with that information? How are you going to share that with the people that need to do something with it, our customers, so they can make better decisions? We're never going to get rid of Legionella. It's always going to be here, but we do need to take care of people that might be susceptible to Legionella. And specifically when we're talking to our building owners, we need to make sure that they're taking liability off the table. They're never gonna take Legionella off the table, but we can get them to reduce their liability. And by doing that, they've got a healthier building and that's going to reduce the risk of somebody getting Legionnaire's disease. Another question asked, Trace, how do you want the public to react when they hear that there is a Legionella outbreak near where they live? Well, a couple of years ago, we experienced this in the downtown Atlanta area. 
And I have to say that the people that work on our website, they do a really good job making sure if people put certain keywords in that our website pops up. The news media did that. And I got calls from every single news station to interview as an expert knowing about water treatment and Legionella. And it was a very interesting experience because they were less interested. I'll say most were less interested. There was one gentleman that interviewed me and he was all about facts and less about sensation. But the other four networks, and I won't tell you which networks were, were which, but the other four networks was all about sensationalism and how do we get you to tune in to the next version of this news because you're scared. And I wouldn't go there. I would not feed them on that. I just let them know the facts. And if you actually search around that time, if you know of the facility that I'm talking about, you can see my newscast that I did. And uh, I'll just say that I have a face for podcasts. So anyway, with that, I was on those five networks. And the question that they were asking me was, should we tell everybody to not go downtown because they'll die? That's what people think because they have no idea what Legionella is because we as an industry have been doing a not so great job of letting people know what they need to know and hoping those people let other people know. Uh, but that's what they were telling people, that you might want to reconsider your plans if you were going to downtown Atlanta this weekend. We, of course, know that that was not the case. So what do I want the public to know I'd love for us to help educate the public that there is this bacteria out there called Legionella. I would love it if people would know that certain people are more susceptible to it than other people, people that have a compromised immune system, people that are obviously older, smokers. Those are all people that could be susceptible to the Legionella bacteria and then develop into Legionnaire's disease more so than a younger or healthier person. Now, that being said, it doesn't mean it can't happen. So with all of that, if people understand what Legionella is, then they can start asking the places of businesses that they are going to, like the hotels, like the resorts, what's your Legionella policy with this pool, with this spa? And if you live overseas, you don't have to do that because the government's doing that for you, but not so much over here in the United States. So if you're going to a resort, you might want to ask somebody, how are you ensuring that this pool stays healthy at all times? What tests are you running? And of course, we know there's all sorts of things besides Legionella that can live in water. So my hope is that the public demands that the people that are taking care of the facilities that we and our families are going into, that they take a, a higher level of education where they are responsible for knowing this. They know what they're supposed to do about it. They're reporting this, they're logging this, and they're remediating uh, whenever they need to because they're following a plan. And that's what I'm hoping that the general public does is ask people what their plan is. And if enough of their patrons ask them about that, they will most likely start doing that. Most of your larger resort chains are doing that already because they understand that's something that they need to do, but some aren't. So I hope that answers the question in the way the listener was hoping. Another question reads, Trace, 
most of my customers have not read Ashray's 188. Is there a simple toolkit that we can use to help educate our customers on what they should be doing when it comes to Legionella bacteria? Actually, yes. And I hope everybody out there has read Ashray 188. It's less than 20 pages, so don't be intimidated by it. If you do not have a copy, chances are somebody you know has a copy, but I, I think it'll cost you like 10 or 20 bucks. It's not a bad investment for you to read and understand. And the first thing you're going to notice when you read that is it is not prescriptive at all. It does not tell you what and how to do. It basically tells you what you need to identify. So now working with somebody who has experience in making water management plans, I think is key because they can guide you through that process. But you've got to get the powers that be on board in order to okay having a team come in, having a person come in, because obviously that means that they're going to have to pay for that expertise. So something I love to give people because it's got a lot of pictures in it is the CDC toolkit for developing water management programs to reduce Legionella growth and the spread in buildings. I know that's a mouthful. You'll probably just refer to it as the CDC Legionella toolkit, but it is a practical guide to implementing industry standards. And they've just recently updated this about a year ago. It's got some information on outbreaks of Legionnaire's disease in the United States, so you can read that. You also read that it's going up. And is it going up because we have more outbreaks? Is it going up because we actually know to test for it? Well, I think the jury's still out on that, but I truly believe, you know, we're using water more and more in ways that we haven't in the past. And the water and how we're using it is going in systems that are at the right temperature for Legionella growth. And they promote Legionella growth. And a lot of those systems now are great dispensers for Legionella bacteria. And if you don't know the way you get Legionella bacteria in your body, and ultimately for that to produce Legionnaire's disease, is you have to inhale it. So if you get some contaminated water on your hand, no big deal. If somebody has Legionnaire's disease and they cough on you, you're not going to get it that way. So how you get it is you breathe in contaminated water droplets. And if you can think of a cooling tower, that's a pretty cool distribution device. It is uh, up high. It is the right temperature. There's a lot of water going through it. And we can spray that over a very large populated area. So that's why the cooling tower gets a lot of scrutiny. Now, I will tell you with the way that the cooling tower manufacturers are now building drift elimination devices, you're getting almost zero drift. It is minimal. So if you have an older cooling tower, 10 plus years old versus a cooling tower today, it is night and day how much contaminated water can actually get out of the cooling tower. So mechanical is always better than chemical. So if you're buying a new cooling tower or your building owner is buying a new cooling tower, don't just get them to replace the same darn thing that's on their roof. Talk to them about this stuff because they can virtually eliminate any water that's coming outside of their facility with these new and improved drift eliminators. And 
that's prevention. That's doing this job. And that is taking risk off of the table for people getting sick. It's taking their liability very, very well down. So it's good for everybody. And you might find it's the same cost, if not cheaper than the cooling tower that they were trying to replace. So just knowing that you can make good suggestions to your customers. Anyway, back to the toolkit. It has all sorts of information that allows your customer to go through and truly understand what they need to do in building a water management program. And the first thing that you will see, I believe it's on the second page, is it takes you through a questionnaire. And it's it talks about what kind of facility you have. And are people that are infirm or over 65, are they living there? Are people actually living there? Is it a high rise? Uh, is there a hot water system? How many floors does it have? So then depending on how you answer that, you're then going to answer questions like, does your building have a cooling tower? Does it have a hot tub? Is there a decorative fountain? Is there a centrally installed mister, atomizer, air washer, or humidifier? So if you answer yes to the top four and then yes to any of the bottom four, it's saying you need a water management plan. And then it takes you through all the terms that you need to know. It gives you a brief history on Legionella bacteria. And then there's the diagram. It tells you exactly what your responsibility is. And folks, it's not hard. So to become compliant, there's really only seven steps. And I'm going to read them to you. The first one is establish a water management program team. And that is not just you and the engineer. There are more people that need to be brought in there. I think it's great they're including the water treater, but the water treater can't do it all. Hopefully there's somebody that understands infectious disease that can be part of the team. Hopefully there's somebody that understands the human resource element of that facility. And when we're scheduling things, they know when the right time is to do certain things. So what are all the different areas of that facility and who can we pull in that is the expert in each one of those areas? So now instead of just the engineer and the water treater throwing some documents together, we actually have this team coming together and they're all bringing their own expertise in to make sure that it's the best program for that facility. And that is what they mean by the word team. Number two is describe the building water systems using text and flow diagrams. So you actually have to diagram all the water that goes through the building. Next, identify areas where Legionella could grow and spread. So these are our hazard points. Where are these possible locations so we can identify them so we can later do something about them? Four is decide where control measures should be applied and how to monitor them. So on each one of these hazard points, we're then going to decide what the control measures are and what are we going to do to monitor them. Now, it specifically does not say to test, but how else are you going to do that without doing some tests? Now, I'm sure you've got some customers out there that want to test for Legionella because they know it's a good idea, but they don't want to do it too often. They say, let's do it every year. 
Folks, I'm here to tell you that that is not often enough. Now, if that's all they want to do, you cannot force them to do what they don't want to do. So you got to do what they want to do, but you need to make sure they understand that just once a year is not enough to establish patterns. I think minimum probably every quarter, which will allow you all the seasons, will allow you to establish a pattern because that way you know if the program that you've designed is actually working. Uh, ideally, you want to test more frequently so you can really see what's going on in the facility. But I understand it's expensive to do that. So you've got to weigh both options and how much money can I spend and can I actually get real data from what I'm collecting? Number four is establish ways to intervene when control limits are not met. Quite simply put, when we do not get a test result back, how we think it should come back and still be okay to be in the program, how do we get it back to okay? And what we do here is we say between this number and this number, we're going to do something. But if it's higher than that number, but lower than this number, we're going to do something else. And you might have different measures there. Here's the key, and here's where I think a lot of people get really nervous about testing for Legionella, because if they do find it, they have no idea what to do. My advice is never test for it unless you know what you are going to do for it. Assume it's going to come back positive. And folks, it's not the end of the world if it comes back positive. You just identified that there's Legionella bacteria in the system, and now you've got to do something about it. But don't wait to find out you had Legionella bacteria in the system and then try to figure out what to do about it. Know what you're going to do about it before you get the result back. A plan is the water treater's friend, is the building owner's friend, because you know exactly what to do. You're not pointing fingers at each other. You've already worked it out. And now that we're in column C of whatever the condition came back with, with the bacteria count, we know exactly what to do because column C lines out step-by-step step what we are going to do to get back to the control limits that we want to keep. Number six is make sure the program is running as designed and is effective. So we wrote it, we ran it, and we're continually making sure that as we learn better information, we're putting that as part of the plan. We're doing the best job we can when we first wrote the plan, but this is a living document. As we find out more about the building, we're going to update this plan. Seven is document and communicate all of the activities. If you do something, you've got to write it down. And then there's a log for everything. Now, that's not the first time you've heard this on this show. If you did something and you did not write it down, you can never prove that it happened. Well, the whole point of having this plan is to make sure you're minimizing the growth of Legionella in this building, but you've got to document everything that you did so you can prove that you're running the plan. Folks, that is 188. It is not difficult it is not prescriptive by any means, but you can see that's what a water management plan should consist of. And if you continue to go through the toolkit, they have examples of every single section that I just outlined. So I hope that's helpful. We will have a link to the CDC Legionella toolkit on our show notes page. So if you want to look at what I am currently looking at, go to scalinguph2o.com, 
and we will have this document ready for you to download. Another listener writes in, what are some of the best resources out there for listeners who want to learn more about Legionella? Uh, One of my favorite sites is the SPL site, Special Pathogens Laboratories. Janet Stout, who you're going to hear from very shortly this month, she has put together such an amazing, I like to call it a treasure trove of Legionella knowledge where at your fingertips in one spot, she's got all of these different studies that you can really learn what you need to learn about Legionella. So we're going to link that on our show notes page. And I really think that's going to allow you to get a lot of great information. And of course, as we go through this month, we're going to be including more and more information on our show notes page. Here's another question. I think I've already answered this, but I want to drive home the point. So I'm going to go ahead and read it. What do we do if the thing we are treating tests positive for Legionella? Well, again, we talked about this previously, but I want to underscore that if you test for something, you should expect to find it. So don't be surprised if you do. I think that's the biggest issue, the biggest misunderstanding that we do have within our industry. So maybe that's my wish for Legionella Awareness Month this year is that we don't just arbitrarily test for something and our plan is, is we hope it's not there. We actually have a plan before we test for it and we're not just testing for it because it seems like a good idea to test. We're actually testing because the schedule's telling us to test. And then if something comes back, we've already diagnosed what ranges we're going to do different remediation points on and how we're going to do that. So now it's just a series of events that we've already figured out. So I know that there are people listening to this podcast and they can't stand when customers want to test for Legionella because, oh my goodness, they might find it. And now I've got to give up my week because I've got to spend all this time with them explaining what they need to do or holding their hand or or whatever that is. Well, I'm going to say, yeah, you're probably right. So let's get in front of that. And let's encourage people to test, but let's also encourage them to have documentation so they can actually do something with that test. By the way, uh, if you haven't listened to episode 212, that's a great episode to help answer that question even more. And I'm amazed as I started pulling notes for this show how many shows we've done around Legionella, how much content ScalingUpH2O.com has on Legionella. So I didn't mention this before as far as resources, but the Scaling Up H2O website is really a great hub bringing together literature and also bringing together experts so you can learn more about this topic. Another question reads, Trace, if someone gets Legionnaire's disease, would any antibiotic help get rid of the Legionnaire's disease? Well, the answer is no, and I believe I am not a biologist, and there are far better people that can answer this question, Uh, but there are only certain antibiotics, and uh, the ones that I'm familiar with that do effectively treat 
for Legionnaire's disease or, or the Legionella bacteria is uh, Levaquin is one, erythromycin is another, tetracycline is one. So if that's helpful, um, you know, by all means, you can talk to your doctor. They're going to know a lot more than that. But all things are not created equal when it comes to Legionella bacteria. It's got this protective coating on it that doesn't allow some of the antibiotics that we use on a regular basis to actually penetrate. So that's why the antibiotics that I just mentioned are the antibiotics of choice. Trace, we all know where the term Legionella came from. What does pneumophila mean? I love this question because it finally allows my Latin and Greek to shine through. So I did take some of that in high school. So Legionella, we of course know that was named after the Legionnaires. Then when they found the outbreak and what it was, they named the bacteria after the Legionnaires. Now, uh, pneumophila, uh, and of course we talk about Legionella pneumophila sera group one. That's probably a term that you heard. By the way, there's 58 species. Uh, there might even be more than that now of Legionella, and there's 15 sera groups. So the most dangerous one, the one that most people are concerned about is Legionella pneumophila, sera group one. So pneumo means lungs. So it means lung. And then phila means loving. So it's a lung-loving bacteria. So there you go. When you start learning some of the uh, words that we have, especially in chemistry and biology, they define themselves. That was a fun question. Thanks for asking that one. Another listener writes in and they want to know what the difference is between Legionnaire's disease and Pontiac fever. Actually, how they wrote it is they wanted to know what the difference was between Legionella and Pontiac fever. But we've already talked. We know that that is not a correct way to say that. Legionella is the bacteria that causes Legionnaire's disease. And then there's also this other thing called Pontiac fever. So what's the difference? Well, the difference is pneumonia. So Pontiac fever is the mild flu-like symptoms without pneumonia that you get from Legionella bacteria. And this is like a mild flu. Most of us have probably had some form of Pontiac fever and we didn't have to go to the doctor. We didn't need antibiotics and we just had a bad flu, we thought, for the next couple of days and then we were fine. So now let's talk about legionellosis, which is the same thing as saying Legionnaire's disease. This is the pneumonia. This is potentially fatal. This is something that you have to go to the doctor for. This is something that you might be hospitalized for. And unlike what I said before, where most of us have probably had Pontiac fever, way less than 5% of the population will ever get this. So those are the differences of Legionnaire's disease and Pontiac fever. And I'll go in a little bit further. What are some of the symptoms of Legionnaire's disease? Well, it could be high fever, chills, muscle pain, headache, a cough, diarrhea, vomiting, uh, confusion, delirium. So these are a couple of things that you might get if you get Legionnaire's disease. Now, that sounds a little familiar with COVID. So there's a lot of confusion going on around that right now. Uh, it's just a really interesting world 
to live in. But this is all about awareness. And the more we know, the better we can educate other people, the better that we can do for ourselves and our companies. So there you go. That's the difference between Legionnaire's disease and Pontiac fever. Another listener writes in, Trace, every time we hear about Legionnaire's disease, we always hear about a cooling tower. Is that the only place where Legionella bacteria can live? And the answer is no. In fact, if you were to go to the CDC webpage, you will see that more than 80% of the cases that are reported for Legionnaire's disease are found in domestic water. So that's the drinking water within the systems. So that leaves 20% with cooling towers. So a follow-up question that this listener might ask is, well, why do we put so much attention on the cooling tower? Well, I think there's a couple of reasons. One, the disease was actually located when the Belford Stratford Hotel, it originated in the cooling tower. So forever and always, that's going to be associated with Legionnaire's disease. But it's also a great distribution system. Like I said, it's on the very top of the hotel or the building, and it is broadcasting over a wide range of a heavily populated area. So it's a great distribution device. So a lot of people can get sick when it's on the top of a cooling tower, where if it's in a water fountain or a more contained area, normally it's just people within that specific facility. So it's important to know where Legionella bacteria can grow in the entire facility. And that's when you do that water management plan. They want you to diagram all the water that's going through the system. And that includes utility water, which is the cooling tower and other utilities that would be in the building. And then, of course, the domestic water, making sure that all of those areas are staying safe. Trace, I hear a lot about low legs. Why is that important when it comes to Legionella? Well, uh, low flow or no flow areas could be called low legs uh, or dead legs. Um, That's how I've heard it. This listener says low legs. I've read that the definition for a dead leg and and also low leg, I guess that's a term too, is that uh, three inches is considered a dead leg. So if let's say you've got a T coming out of some pipe and it goes into a three inch nipple. Well, guess what? That's a dead leg. And what that means is that flow is stopped within that little dead leg of nipple or, or pipe, which means we're not getting the cleaning effect of the water that's going through the piping. And as water flows, it's taking all the biomaterial that's growing in the pipe with it so it can be flushed out. Well, if we don't give the water a place to flow to and biocide to freely get to, well, now it can grow uncontrolled. And then as it's growing, it grows so much, it can actually start sloughing off and getting in the mainstream of water and creating problems downstream. So that's why dead legs are such an issue. And that's why you want to identify all those in your water management program. Now, a follow-up question, as I can hear in my head, this person asking, well, how the heck do you identify everything? You can't see behind walls And you're right, you can't. You got to do your best due diligence that you can do. And I suggest you look at piping 
And I will be the first to tell you that as built drawings are never as built. It's as we drew them. And then your guess is as good as ours, how we actually built the darn thing. But you can only be the best that you can be with the material that you have. So try your best. You might notice that uh, everything is joined together in the same way on every floor. And maybe a couple floors are exposed, but a couple of other floors are behind drywall. Well, you can make the assumption that those systems are built in the same way that the lower floors were. And I would probably document that, that I am not able to see this area. So the assumption was made that it was built just like this other area. And that's the thing. If you don't know, document that you don't know. If you're taking some assumptions, document what those assumptions are. That way, as you learn new information, and we we learned when I went through the plan steps, that as we're required to learn new information, and as we learn that information, we then update the plan, making the plan get better and better and better. Another listener writes in, they want to know what are some of the agencies that we should be familiar with if we're looking into Legionella. Well, I think a great resource is the AWT, the Association of Water Technologies. They've got a position paper, a white paper on Legionella specifically for the equipment that we treat. So if you haven't read that, I would definitely read that information. Of course, ASHRAE, which is the American Society of Heating, Refrigeration, and Air Conditioning Engineers, they're the ones that came up with the 188 protocol. We've already talked today about the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, located right here in my hometown of Atlanta, Georgia. CMS is the Centers for Medicaid and Medicare Services, They recently came out with some documents on how they want people to perform water management plans to ensure that they are properly doing what they need to do. So that might be something that you need to become familiar with. Another organization is CTI, which is the Cooling Technology Institute. Uh, Of course, the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, ASHI, which is the American Society for Healthcare Engineers. So if you are working with hospitals, medical office buildings, this is a group that you probably want to be familiar with. Also, if you're in that area, the Joint Commission is another group that uh, you're going to be forced to be familiar with because they're going to have a whole bunch of things that they're going to make sure that you do at a hospital. Uh, the National Safety Foundation. Of course, I'm sure there are probably hundreds of others out there. Uh, The big ones, I would say that if you go to AWT, the Association of Water Technologies, read that position paper. Uh, Of course, ASHRAE, the 188, CDC, the toolkit, and then uh, CTI, the Cooling Technology Institute, they have a, a neat white paper as well. So that might get you started with some of the other organizations out there. There's so many good questions people wrote in. I really want to thank everybody for that. So uh, here's the last one that I'm going to answer, and it is about ice and ice machines. And you have probably been asked to test ice machines in a facility where people are wondering if they have Legionella bacteria in there and where does that come from? So, and that's what this question is around. And it is about a case where somebody got Legionella from ice chips. 
Now, I said earlier, and I think it's widely known, that in order to get Legionella bacteria into your body where it can start to produce the Legionnaire's disease, that is through inhaling water droplets. Well, there is a case where somebody in the hospital, I believe it was after a surgery, they were eating ice chips and they were contaminated ice chips and they aspirated contaminated water from these ice chips. So I believe that's what the question, and I didn't really read the question because I don't think I can do it justice because it was about a five paragraph question. That was the gist of it. I think that's where it's coming from. And uh, we know that uh, that can happen. So a lot of hospitals are now testing their ice machines. I believe that that was actually ended in a death where that gentleman did not survive. So a lot of people are taking that seriously. So in addition to the cooling tower, uh, here's some other things that you're probably going to be asked to maybe test to make sure that there's not Legionella or excessive Legionella bacteria growing in these. So hot and cold water storage tanks, water heaters, water hammer arresters, expansion tanks, water filters, uh, electronic faucets, aerators in faucets, faucet flow restrictors, shower heads, hoses, non-stream aerosolizing, generating humidifiers, equipment that's not used very often, such as eyewash stations or chemical showers. These are something that affects us. So we're now at, at risk for these things that aren't used, but once every five years. And then of course, ice machines that we just talked about. So I hope answering these questions gives you some more information about the topic of Legionella. We've been all over the map as far as equipment. You know, we treat cooling towers, boilers, closed loops, wastewater, but now we're being asked about ice machines. So knowing that information, you're able to give better information. You're able to help your clients. You're able to guide them the bottom line is they're the ones that have to make the decision. And a lot of times they want you to tell them what they need to do. Now you can be an advocate and you can do that by giving them all of the information, but all of the regulations are very clear. The owner is the one that's responsible for that. So don't tell them, hey buddy, that's your responsibility. You deal with it. And I don't think anybody out there in the Scaling Up Nation would say that. But do tell them what they need to know and give them some tools like ASHRAE's 188 or the CDC toolkit so they can better arm themselves to make better decisions. Speaking of arming ourselves so we can make better decisions, here's our friend James McDonald. Welcome to Thinking on Water with James, the segment where we don't give you the answers, we give you the topics and questions for you to think about, drop by drop. Now let's get to it. In this week's episode, we're thinking about jar testing. What kind of equipment do you use? How do you make down and dose coagulants and polymers? What is the math involved in making down and dosing? How long do you stir each test? At what speed should each test be stirred? Does your standard procedure match the actual conditions of the system? If not, how might you adjust your procedure? Do you use round jars or square? Are there guidelines of where to start with certain types of waters? How would you teach someone else how to do a jar test? Take this week to think about jar testing and what you may still need to learn. 
Be sure to follow hashtag TOW22 and hashtag ScalingUpH2O to share your thoughts on each week's Thinking on Water. I'm James McDonald, and I look forward to learning more from you. Well, thank you, James. And Nation, I hope you will join me each and every Friday this month where we're going to be learning more about Legionella. I'll give you a sneak preview of the people we are going to have on this month. So next week, you're going to hear from Legionellologist, of course, Legionella expert, Janet Stout, where she's going to tell us some new things going on in the world of Legionella bacteria. And then we're going to hear from one of my good friends, Russell Baskin. Russell owns a company up in the New York State area. And because of that, he had to change the way he ran his company overnight. We're going to hear all about that in the upcoming weeks. So join me in celebrating Legionella Awareness Month by learning about Legionella, being more aware of what the information we have at our fingertips out there and reading that and being able to get that information to our customers. It's my hope that we all stay healthy and we all pass along the right information to help everyone do the same. Have a great week, folks. I'll see you next Friday. One of the things I hear so often about the Rising Tide Mastermind is about how well the members in the Rising Tide Mastermind listen to other people. Folks, we are programmed to give quick advice even if we don't have all the information. Through the issue-solving track that we practice in the Rising Tide Mastermind, you will learn how to ask better questions so you can give better advice and that will shorten the road for whatever issue you're trying to solve. To find out more, go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash mastermind.